Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Matt Hurst from FasterSkier.com. We are here in the middle of the week to recap one of the most exciting and creative World Cup venues in uh, recent memory, a night city sprint in Tallinn, Estonia. We've got uh, Devin joining us a little late, and we also have a guest from on the ground in Estonia, a good buddy of mine, Vahur Teppen, who uh, once skied and studied at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. We'll be back after the weekend with a final episode from the 2022-23 World Cup racing season, and we'll be back right after this message. Are you or a skier you know looking to extend your cross-country racing career? The Craftsbury Green Racing Project is now accepting applications for the 2023-24 training year from skiers and biathletes who can receive coaching, wax support, and room and board. Whether you're interested in the traditional Green Racing Project residential approach or off-campus options offering those with an existing career a way to be part of the team, the Green Racing Project is eager to talk with you. The Green Racing Project also has summer options for under 23 skiers and biathletes pursuing college degrees while competing at a high level. Learn more about your options and apply today at greenracingproject.com. Should I grab a beer before uh, Devon jumps in? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I haven't I haven't had one uh, today, so I'm I'm feeling awkward, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's. Uh... I mean, I, I, I'm functioning uh, way better when I have uh, one or two. Just gets joking. The, gets the creative juices flowing. Um, we're definitely putting this part check, on the check, podcast. Check it out. Do you see my video? Yeah. Dude, this is this is the door to the tunnel into my garage. I'll be gone for uh, twenty seconds to grab my beer. Okay, I'll just uh, I'll just talk for the listeners. Uh, I'll, I'll narrate. Bahar just uh, opened up a door into a dark space. Uh, I don't see I don't see a fleet of Teslas in there, um, but I assume I assume the walls of this should be turned on. The light would be lined with beer. Um, what's the What's the Estonian beer of choice? For a uh, for a uh, skier from Tartu, it's Alakok. Ah, uh, yes. Great. Okay. Well, I'm going to introduce you. So uh, those of you who have listened to this podcast before will will know Vavar Teppen as a uh, former uh, Estonian elite athlete uh, who is particularly talented in uh, sprint racing, uh, has raced on the World Cup, and then has also founded a ski school uh, that operates uh, multiple locations a- across Estonia. He has a uh, he has a ski bus that uh, I've had the privilege of riding with around uh, Slovenia. And uh, there's one other thing I was going to say. Oh, yeah, you also were uh, a longtime coach for several years of the Chinese national team, uh, just, you know, taking commuting over to China from uh, from Estonia via Helsinki. So um, Vahar has a, a lot of street cred and uh, he was he was on scene for this um World Cup race in Tallinn, the Estonian capital, just uh, last night, which looked really awesome. So, uh, you know, I was just going to ask you to start by telling us a little bit about like 
how did this happen? And can you kind of describe like the setup for maybe folks who like didn't get the best view? Because it, it, it just, it looked awesome. Uh, to be honest uh, to you, it looked awesome. To me, it was awesome. And I think uh, I've seen many city sprints and uh, been there myself as well. But uh, this, maybe I'm biased being Estonian, but uh, to me, it was uh, the best city sprint ever. I mean, usually you don't have much uh, vertical meters in city sprints, but uh, here you could have a really big climb and uh, do it twice. So it was, uh, the lap was only 700 meters. So it, they lapped around twice. So it, it made it quite tough, I would say. And I, I, I skied uh, the, the course one night before as well. And uh, it's a demanding course. It's, it's not just, a, just about the uphill, but uh, I, I would say the downhills uh, and the corners were the, the ones that were really tricky this time. So, and... Um, it, it was in a, a city park that had some like had like a sort of band like stage amphitheater like but the thing that really struck me was like there were a ton of spectators like and dudes like set up in like a hot tub and stuff and I was really curious like have heard a little bit from you and some folks you work with in the Estonian Skiing Association that like you know, it has not been an easy time for Estonian skiing like the past few years there for, for folks that don't know. There was a, a doping scandal that, you know, really tarnished um, core members of like Estonian elite skiing. The the coach that coached Estonian athletes to like multiple Olympic medals, Monty Oliver, he and his son were implicated um, and, you know, just like really kind of put back the whole cause of Estonian skiing in a way that was like really sad because, you know, I know there are many like really good, honest people working in that realm. And, and I just, you know, from what I had heard, um, you know, skiing is just like not back to the place. Skiing is not back to the place where people are, you know, it's getting a lot of money. It's getting a lot of athletes. And, but, but it was really encouraging. Like, were you surprised by the number of people there? Cause it just, it looked, packed with like a lot of enthusiasm yeah the the, the last world cup uh, we had it was uh, four seasons ago right before uh Seyfeld, uh world champs so and and it was it has always been in otapa you know the first world cup we had was 1999 and it was otapa otapa so it's like it's hard it's hard to get there it's like not an easy place to get to from the city like it's not a city it's out in the countryside like not where you're gonna get thousands of fans necessarily yeah, I mean, Otapa is two and a half hours from from the airport, but now you're 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 really you're just ten minutes from the airport and you're five minutes from the harbor. You know, the ferry is going to Finland and Stockholm. It's just five minutes away, so you're just right in uh, inside uh, the capital uh, of Estonia in Tallinn. Uh, it is a singing festival arena. Uh, every four years, we are having. Uh, a big uh, singing festival where let's say hundred thousand people gather and uh, and choirs and uh, the big choirs are singing and it's it's fully packed. Then then the arena is like really packed. But uh, I think we had more than five thousand spectators, which is uh, which is awesome. I think for the for the for the skiing race, you know, and uh, the whole course was uh, let's say covered with spectators. Under the arena, there was I would say a couple of thousand people watching. So uh, truly truly awesome. Sweet. Well, um, you know, we should we should break really quickly to to welcome the namesake 
and true host of this podcast, uh, Devin Kershaw, who looks like he's uh, wandering around a, a train station like a very lost man, uh, you know, ski ski racer without some skis or something like that. It, it looks it looks pretty rough, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Are you uh, are you able to um, chime in here yet, Devin, or is this? Uh, oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. I just caught the last little bit of that, but I mean, I'm sure you guys covered this already. But I just love these like. The city sprint idea is something that came in with this with Dusseldorf like a long, long time ago. And it really does create like a festival atmosphere. And you could see that happening. I'm sure you guys were just talking about that. But Tallinn is such a beautiful city, um, especially the old city in Tallinn. is just fantastic. And it was a cool backdrop to see a city sprint, city sprint take place there. And I think it's also really interesting to, to see how different city sprints tackle the idea of sprinting urban you know like Tallinn did the two-lap thing Dusseldorf also did the two-lap thing and, and Milan has done that as well and and but just to see how they solve solve that style of racing in in an urban environment was really cool so looked like a great atmosphere man it really made me want to be there cheering but uh looked like a lot of fun um well we covered a little we covered a a, a bit about like the course and and kind of how it happened um so maybe we just we jump in quickly to the to the racing that happened. I mean, you know, two sprint races. I think we can go through pretty quickly, but they they both were pretty fun to watch. I also really want to talk about the um, the waxing situation because it was the first time they tried sort of like common waxing, no funny business. But maybe there was some funny business that I can uh, I can share with folks. But let's start. Why don't we start with the women's race? Because I I felt like that was the most exciting. I was, I was sorry to see um, <laughs> the, the top Estonian women who Vahar, correct me if I'm wrong here, but they're, they're twins named Katie and Katie. Uh, Katie and Heidi. Excuse me, Katie and Katie. Uh, they were very close to qualifying, but there were no Estonian women that made it through uh, into the heat, sadly. Um, but then it was like a full knockdown drag out with, the two women that have been battling it out for sprint supremacy uh, over the past few weeks, Yona Sundling and uh, Christine Savas-Skistad. And uh, I don't know, either you guys want to talk us through that one? Yeah, I want to. I want to because what Shistad has done here in the last seven days is phenomenal. I mean, there's been three sprint races in the last week. She's won all of them. And she's won all of them in like a vastly different way. And I think that's what's been so fascinating to watch. I mean, Sundling is the quintessential pro. I mean, she's been the best sprinter in the world for a number of years. She's the world champion. She's the Olympic champion. And her technique is pretty much flawless. The way she uses her upper body, her angles, she's hitting all her angles perfectly. She has like her stability through her core. It, it's just like really everything you ever want to see in good, powerful scheme. And yet Shestad has burst onto the scene and is finding so many different ways to beat her. And of course, like Shestad's taller, so she's using that to her advantage. She's a big glider. We've talked about that in previous podcasts. Like it almost looks like she's going level three, but she's just moving so fast. But she is definitely keeping like contact with the snow. When she pushes out to the side, you can really notice that with Shestad. She's the best in the world with that. It's like really maintaining contact and driving, 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 driving as she goes from one side to the other. But I mean, in the qualification in this one, I mean, like Sindling had 
Shinling had her number. I mean, it's a short sprint, flat, flattish sprint in the city and beats her by 1.81 seconds in the qualification. And through the heats, like Shinling just looks so phenomenal, especially the early parts of those heats. She just was a totally other level than any other competitor, any other competitor. But she stood in the final, just like never said die and like hung on. And then what a sprint finish we had there. I mean, it's phenomenal. It was yeah, what she starts doing now is crazy. Actually, in Norway too, is um, I don't know how much of a soccer fan you are about her, but um, she's been compared to Erlen Brattholm, the the striker for Manchester City. He's Norwegian, who's just like a goal scoring machine, and has been <laughs> and has been described many times as an apex predator. <laughs> and uh, and now she starts getting that stamp on her as well. And honestly, the way she's winning these races is something I haven't seen in the women's side of things maybe ever actually just the way she's able to to, to will out these wins in, in the way she's doing it it's, uh never would have thought that we'd see Sidney get beat so many times in a row in, in different ways what do you guys think uh, to me uh, I was um I reckon uh, this wasn't uh, really the average uh, city sprint as as you've been uh, maybe seeing to be to be honest uh, the very high difference for the course in 700 meters uh, guess what it was Devon for 700 lap, how many meters vertical? Well, I should have just, I should have the, the like results and because then I'd be able to tell you exactly. But <laughs> I would guess like with just the way it was sloping around, like I probably would, I would guess like 36 meters. I, I, I no, it, it was 26 if, I, if I'm right, but you, you, you yeah. do it twice. So you, you, you get yeah. over 50 meters of uh, vertical climb. And I think uh, it, it's quite a bit for a, for a sprint race. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, what what I was looking uh, to me, uh, let's say if if I knew Jonas Sundling would have won the race, uh, then of course uh, I, I take my hat off and uh, great racing. But knowing that she didn't win, uh, she was wasting quite a bit of energy in the in the in the quarters, in the semis, and uh, she started was just smart, you know, all the way. She was second. She knew. Second place is enough in the quarterfinal, so she didn't waste anything uh, more than necessary to 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 proceed to the next round. So I think that paid off in the in the in the last uh, final round. I I totally agree with Bahur, and I, like I actually I disagree a little bit with you, Devin, where you're talking about how you know you feel like she's thought like has beat Sunling in like different ways. Because I I watched this race yesterday, and I was just like. I was kind of like, when are, when is Sundling and the Swedish team like going to get the memo that like, you actually can't ski away from Shistad. Like you, like Sundling can ski away from everyone else uh, in the sprint field, but like Shistad has made it really clear that like she can hang on. And in fact, not only can she hang on, but she can catch and pass Sundling. Like even if Sundling like gets a 10 meter gap over the last hill, and so I just kind of watched the the end of that race play out yesterday. And I was just like, what, like, what is like it, the definition of uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same result. And I felt like something did exactly what she did in Falun, tried to get away, didn't get away, got caught, lost by a little bit at the line. And so, you know, I'm, I would like to think that we'll maybe see a different strategy from something because I mean, she's, she, I don't, I don't think that she lacks the quickness that she thought has, or at least we haven't seen them really do like a, a full on like, 
one-on-one sprint to the finish line when Sunling isn't like absolutely gassed from shattering the pack. So I don't know. I thought, I, I think that'll be, I'll be curious to see how that plays out this weekend. Um, yeah, but I got to, I got to cut in here a little bit because like where there's been a difference is that Sundling in a, in a city sprint, like 1.8 seconds might not sound like a whole lot to like a layman, but you gain a lot of confidence from that. And I, I think Sundling really thought like, no, this time I'm better. I'm, I'm actually better. And I can use what has helped me win the Olympic games and back-to-back world championship titles. And this will work. I, I do agree with Bahur, of course, like, she didn't need to flex as hard as she was flexing in the quarterfinals and semifinals. Like, I mean, yeah, like you even see like Klebo and stuff never doing that either. Um, he should know better <laughs> for sure. That that's that's true. But I don't know. Like, you say like they should know that they can't ski away from Shista, but you got to remember that like they did ski away from Shista at the World Championships. They earlier in the season, like Shista was like. You know, a lot, there was a lot of hype that training has gone well and she was in great shape. But, like, really, like, she's won three World Cups in a row, but it's all happened in the last week. And I kind of feel it's, it is it is kind of like a rookie hockey player or a rookie pitcher or something in, in MLB for those from the U.S. or Canada where, like, batters just can't figure this guy out, even though it's like, come on, he's just throwing sliders all day. Like, just hit the slider. and And that's what it looks like maybe for us. But... For someone like Sunling or or a Dahlqvist or, or you know some of the the Swedish sprint team, which has just been this armada, I'm not so sure. It's just so easy to to read the situation and be like, okay, you got to just wait for a one up sprint with her, because you know there's a world championship gold around Sunling's neck where she said was blown off the back. So, but anyway, it didn't work this time, and I I do agree with Bob. like I mean that was that was undisciplined racing. By Sundling in, in the quarters and, and semis, but it was a flex though. Like I have to give it to her; she looked great. But it was—it's a little bit like our old friend Benny, you know, Ben Ogden, just drilling it from the first meter and then not being able to to deliver the goods at the end of it. It's you, you got to also ski smart if you're going to be competing against the likes of Shestad. I want to get your guys' perspective on. It was a great race. I don't know if you guys were following this too too much, but this was a great competition for the overall Sprint Cup prior to this weekend and this was kind of the last yeah there's a sprint in in lati but there was a real chance for for fendrick or whoever dogfist there's other women in there too to like get a lock grip on this thing and man fendrick who won three world cups earlier this season and then kind of fell off her form a little bit especially when compared to to a sundling or sista that we're watching now but she really delivered a great race and i thought it was really cool to see that like barring some complete catastrophe, like Fenrik will win the sprint globe this year. And what an achievement. I mean, of course, like Swiss ski fans are used to like all these globes, but all those globes just came from one man. And that was Dario Colonia. And what Fenrik has done this season is, is absolutely fantastic. And I, I love it when the chips are down and like the pressure's on and it's a first time, like a Swiss athlete, I know she's has World Cup wins and medals and everything like that. Like she's she's not exactly a rookie or anything, but still that kind of pressure for the for the globe. If you're talking sprint globe, distance globe, or overall globe, like I don't think people norm people that aren't really deep into the sport understand the stress of what going for a globe means. Like you have to be on week in week out every year. You can't get sick. You can't get injured when you get popped in the semi in the semifinals. Like man, it, it costs you, and those points are. Those points, those points don't come easy. And 
the fact that she came into this with such a tight race and really put a vice grip on the whole competition, I thought was awesome. And the way she was skiing too was awesome. So I don't know. What are your guys' perspectives on Fenwick? No, she she definitely had a had a really good day of racing again, being on the podium. Let's be honest. I mean, there's only three three places on the podium. Uh, she took one. Maya, Maya Talquist wasn't there, so they were what was it? The three points between them before this race. Now it's uh, 23, if 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 I'm right. So she has definitely huge advantage going into Lahti now. I mean, and uh, like the only thing I would add is like, you know. Devin, you sort of describe like Feinblick as like tailing off a little bit. I mean, I, you know, it's hard to, I feel like it's hard to say that. Um, oh man, your fan club's behind you now, Devin. This is cool. Um, uh, the, the, you know, when, when Feinblick was winning all those races, like Sundling and she were like not there. Um, and so in fairness, but I think it's a testament to like, you know, her persistence, you know, especially like she's not as strong in classic, but has had some, you know, solid classic results this season too. Um, it, it just like, so I, I think it's, I think it's a cool achievement. I also wanted to just quickly ask before we get to the men, I mean, um, you know, the, the snow condition, well, actually, I think we, we should also do chapeaus for, um, all three of the other, like, uh, women who made the finals. I, I don't, I think it was probably the first finals for all three of those women, uh, Coletta Ritzik from Germany, Lena Quinton from France and uh, Baranova from the Czech Republic. Uh, just like cool to see some new faces in there. Um, there were, it was just like, yeah, I don't know. It was nice to like see the kind of diversity of athletes. But then we also saw like just a ton of people crashing in both the men's and, and women's races. Like Julia Kern, um, you know, was kind of gunning for a spot in the finals and just absolutely ate, you know what, uh, on the home stretch. And I, I was curious from Bahor, I mean, it it definitely looked like it just was kind of soft and mashed potatoes kind of skiing, but also, you know, maybe there are just like some snakes in there. I don't know. I mean, you skied on it. Was it, did it feel that sketchy out there? Yeah, it was, it was definitely a bit sketchy. You know, I think, uh, I think uh, Planica was uh, more sketchy the first week of uh, world uh, champs racing, but uh, it, it it wasn't uh, it wasn't an an easy day for uh, competitors. You know this sugary snow you have. Uh, of course, the uh, organizers were trying to uh, scrape the corners every single time that the heats went through. You know they were trying to be uh, not build up, but uh, kind of push away all the soft uh, snow. So they they were trying to keep it as as good as possible. But uh, it it was tough, you know, and especially the last corner coming into the really short final sprint. I don't know, was it? It was like 40, 50 meters only for the final stretch. Uh, the last uh, S corner, it was a tough one, you know. It, it was high speed. You were flying in uh, first the corner to the right, almost 180 degrees to the left. And, and in, in soft snow, uh, everything was happening there, you know. Yeah, I mean, it it made for pretty exciting watching. Um, for sure. And- but it's tough as an athlete, like, like, sorry to catch you off now, but I agree. Like, it's, 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 it's tough as an athlete with those conditions. But, you know, like, there's just some epic, epically bad conditions in city sprints before, like Trondheim, way, way back in the days, if you want to have a laugh, like YouTube Trondheim World Cup city sprint or something. And it's, it was just like over the boots, deep with sugar. And then I've raced in the tour de ski there was one of the city sprints in Prague 
where it was so deep with this sugar that we were having to double pull like hundreds of meters on certain sections of the course. It is challenging. It's super challenging for the organizers. But I guess the other side of the coin is like, that's kind of the tax you pay. You know what I mean? If you want to bring the race to the people in the city, it then you're really, man, it, the weather gods have to cooperate with you completely with the humidity and everything to get things to, to tighten up. And yeah, it looked soft for sure. And it looked like there was... Well, not look, there was people biffing it, like you said. And and I'm glad you brought up uh, Julia Kern too, because like, there's actually like, I know it doesn't really matter, honestly, like not not to take anything away from Julia's season's been phenomenal. Um, But I know like, especially for the layman kind of people too, you're like, why are we talking about this? But Laura Gimler's had a fantastic sprint season. Julia Kern has had a very stable and great sprint season. And they're fifth and sixth in the sprint standings. And you know what, like top six in the sprint standings is it shows you just had such a great consistent year. And that, that's a race that I'm really enjoying following along. And, and like when Julia biffed it like that, I'm like, no, like in, she's had some good classic sprints too, but Laura Gimler has been so strong in classic lately. And with, with um, Lottie coming up and just like, oh man, like this was such a good chance to, to pull away a little bit from Gimler. But anyway, it's been a phenomenal season and, like you said, I love the final I, women's racing this whole year has been so good. And this sprint final with some newer names, um, although Rezik has been quite good in the past and, uh, yeah, but anyway, it was still, uh, it was, it was super fun. It was a super, super fun women's sprint. Well, let's, uh, let's go to the men. I mean, uh, if there was ever a race with a foregone conclusion, um, I feel like it was probably this one, but that said, um, speaking of the snow conditions, I, and I think everybody else who is watching saw Johannes Kleibo actually like stumble at one point, which, you know, it's like, I'm trying to remember like what the, um, you know, I feel like there's a scene from like an action movie when, you know, the like big bad boss or something gets like scratched by someone's sword and they're like, oh my God, he's, he's human. We can be that. I was like, this is crazy. Like it must be really bad if, if Clive was having a hard time staying on his feet, but, uh, yeah, I mean, what did you guys see other than an, another epic beat down by the greatest skier that's ever lived? Uh, when 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 uh, when you were guys were talking about the women's race, you know, uh, Shestad and uh, Jonas Sundling, and and uh, just to to make a comparison between uh, you know top women and Klabo, then Klabo has balls. To to uh, to learn in the in the quarterfinals and semis, you know, he doesn't need to go uh, first and lead all the way and just you know demolish. He takes it smart, you know. Sometimes he's second, sometimes third. He can be fourth on the first lap, but he always learns his competitors and he knows how to how to uh, gain those places and and take the win in the whatever heats, you know. So he's learning every single time. He's he's learning his competitors. I don't see in in the in the women's race, you know. Seeing Jonas Sundling, she could have done the same, but she's not doing the same. So that's that's my uh, impression on Clav. I like I like the way and uh, the different style she, he's taking every single time, you know. He he's learning and uh, and his abilities his competitors are having. So it's uh, it was a great race again from him you too like for for me as well like to see him beat up on everyone like he did in such a short sprint with challenging conditions in the final what i mean i i'm not i'm no longer surprised because he is because he is so much better but i feel like 
every two weeks I see a race like I saw this one, this this race in Tallinn, and being like, how in God's name are you getting this distance on these racers? Like, how is this even possible? Like, this is just so banana pancakes. And he really put a clinic on that final. And and yeah, like you said, Nat, like, I mean, of course, like there's way more World Cups now than there was when Bjorn Dolly was racing. There's even, you know, a, a different competitive makeup compared to Petter Nortag at his peak. Um, but, uh, man, like Claybo is just so head and shoulders above the rest. And it's, it, it was very, very, very impressive. I also wanted to say, I thought this was the time that Edvin Anger was going to finally get his podium. And like, I don't know. I wanted to get you guys' perspective, like the bump, the rough and tumble with Nortug, which was great for Nortug to be back on the podium. He's had such a strong season earlier in the season. He fell off his form a little bit at the wrong time and and to see him back on the podium, you know, you, you see that last name and you think like, and, and some of his results earlier in the season, you're like, yeah, yeah, of course, like Nortug is always on the podium. But if you look, if you look through his history, I mean, like he's kind of new to this game, like the big, the big leagues, like, yeah, when he was younger, he would get in a final once in a while when he'd get a chance, but he was a long time on development teams. He was on a private team, team telemark as well. Like he's taken a long road to the national, to the national team. And it was a great sprint by him and like heads up racing for him to stay on his feet. And that, that, that little race incident was really interesting. I, I watched it a couple of times, like on slow-mo where they were like up in each other's grill. And I mean, I'm not saying you want to get disqualified or anything. That's not what I'm saying, but I was, it was quite a lot of contact in that moves. I don't know what you guys saw there. So, and it would have been cool if anger to get a, finally a podium. He's fourth all the time. And he's been coming on so strong with a uh, great qualifier and Falun and, and then racing great here as well, but just not not being able to pay off. I mean, I kind of liked it. And, I, you know, I felt like you couldn't disqualify anyone yesterday because it was a city sprint. And it was like just, you know, I mean, like Shista or, or Sunling almost like took out Shista like in the home stretch of that race. And it was like it was weird because it was there was sort of like a best line to the finish, but, but it seemed like the firmest snow and the best skiing was like out a little bit. So you had everyone coming out there. I don't know. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do the like full on forensic analysis. I, it didn't, it definitely like there were any number of like kind of sketchy spots. So I didn't see, but I, I mean, I totally agree. I, I, lo- I actually love that Edwin Anger like has to keep waiting, you know, dude's 20 years old, 21 years old. So, uh, he'll, he, he'll be, he'll be fine. Um, and uh and you know his I, I yeah his quest continues um i feel like there was one other there's one other thing i yeah shanava let's talk about shanava because oh, like, yeah. I, like of course he's on the podium but like but it's also the again like sunling like what i'm so impressed with 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 sunling is is like i've just i'm just repeating myself but like how strong she is in her core and how she's able to hit her angles in any sort of conditions and shanava's that type of racer too in skating especially in one skate um he's he's just able to get high hips and a strong position in his core and really drive the poles into the snow in such a way that the energy is going where you want it to go if you want to ski fast and yeah he got completely undressed by Klebo, like completely but the way he was skiing in those conditions was, was something else. And I, I think it was, it's cool. I mean, we talk a lot about the French sprint team for men and how strong they are and, and how good it is for the sport that they have a number of guys at a high level. But I think it, it is worth just taking a moment and, and being impressed with how Shanova is able to, 
to ski technically like that in, in all sorts of conditions. Cause it's not surprising to see him ski so beautifully in, in Davos when it's like rock hard and easy to balance, but it's something else to see him be able to hit those angles when it's soft and like you're getting bucked around a little bit. So I was pretty impressed by that. That's the, that's the same point I, I, I would bring out as well. Uh, Shanama is, is a big dude uh, in, in cross country world and, uh, and Edwin Unger is even, even bigger. And uh, let's be honest, the conditions, we're getting harder and harder. It was in a qualification. It was much uh, more solid or firm and faster. I think that the final times were five, ten seconds slower than than in the qualification. And and for the big guys like like those two to be second and fourth overall, I think they had a really really good day in in general. You know, it was it was sugary soft and uh, and Edwin Unger is like I don't know ninety plus or ninety five plus maybe hundred kilo heavy. You know, it's not easy in these conditions. I'll just throw out a, a, a couple other things that I saw. Um, I wanted to just uh, compliment Reno J, who did not quite make the final, but he was seventh. And, you know, that guy's been like a mainstay of the World Cup. And I feel like really has kind of leveled up this season. We saw him win a, a medal in the team sprint in uh, Planitza with uh, with Richard Juve. And so I thought that was cool to see him mixing it up yesterday. Also, uh Harold Osberg Amundsen making it into the semis yesterday as like a guy that is definitely not supposed to be a sprinter, like beats Sindra Bjornstad-Skar, beats Ben Ogden. Um, like what's, what's even happening. And then, um, and then we gotta, we gotta um, call out Ben Ogden for wearing his hat completely backwards, missing out on, on TV time for his, uh, sponsor cabot cheese which honestly makes like the very best cheese in the world and maybe it, this was a good strategy because instead of like five seconds of tv time in europe where no one can buy cabot cheese now we're talking about it on the kershaw podcast where you know hordes of people will now be flocking to get the hunters uh hunters sharp chatter off the northeast store shelves um if there it also i want to talk about this waxing situation because um, as we've discussed briefly, it was the first time there was like a common mandated waxing protocol, um, from the description, basically Swix provided, um, like roto, roto brushes or roto corks and all the wax, uh, teams showed up with skis ready to go. And I was exchanging some messages and then ended up having a phone call with one of the U S techs. Eli Brown, who's, you know, longtime member of that team. And he said that the Swedish team showed up to wax their skis right next to the Americans um, with uh, like fluoro powder, just like totally covered. Like it was clear, like they had fluoro powder, like all over their skis. And like, yeah, there was a cleaning protocol and then there was a wax that went on top of that. But um, Eli was totally convinced that, you know, based on what we know about the durability of floras on skis, that like this was a really he was he was upset. He felt like this was, you know, not breaking the rules, but totally against the spirit of um, what this was designed to do, of sort of leveling the playing field. And then you kind of look at the results from the the qualifier and saw some pretty popping times by the Swedes. Um, so I talked to him a little bit about it and he was like, you know, use my name. Like he apparently talked to Swedish press about it too. And it never kind of made it into the 
papers. And I, you know, I emailed a couple of the folks with the Swedish team. I emailed uh, Anders Bistrom and Lars Ober, who are, you know, I think team manager and federation or, or cross country kind of association manager. And um, Anders was basically like, I don't really know. You got to talk to Petter Mielbeck, who's the um, head of the service team. And uh, I, didn't get a response from Petter. So I don't, I don't really know what's going on there, but I think, you know, a couple things, a, you know, seems to show that there at least potentially is still room for gaming the system here. And if not that, then at least that there's not necessarily a lot of trust that folks are coming into this with good intentions. So I just, I thought that was kind of uh, an, an, an interesting subplot. And, and Eli sent me some photos that definitely make it look like there was floral powder, um, you know, still on, on these skis. So I don't know if you guys heard anything about what was going on there, but, uh, you know, interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, I didn't hear anything about it actually, but, um, but I'm not surprised. And, and this is the whole thing. Like, so there was some announcements that FIS and the IBU are saying that they're going to, that like from next year, like Fluoro is going to be banned and we're back to this thing. And it's like, if you don't have a, uh, a test that works properly, just like these blanket statements, like we're banning Fluoro, like get up, get away from yourself. Like this is ridiculous. And, these kind of ideas, I thought it was a cool step to try. But again, did they go far enough? If you want to have factory waxing and test it out how it goes, there's only one way to do it. And that's like deliver two pairs of skis to a factory facility, like factory waxing facility where you have like 30 techs that are just going to wax the skis and have like, you can have like teams or like a representative from the teams, for example, checking the work or like looking over almost like, what happened in the U.S. with uh, counting votes, <laughs> but but I mean, like when you kind of half do it, it's like yeah, here's some roto brushes and here's the wax that we're supposed to do it on and blah blah blah. Like, and you're surprised that people are trying to game the system. Like, come on, it was half-assed attempt. I have to say, it, it, it's an interesting attempt, but it was half-assed, and and I'm not surprised it didn't work out like they wanted it to. I, I totally agree with that, Demon. Uh, you know, it's it was surprising for, uh, to me as well uh, hearing that. Uh, those keys that were handed in uh, for the race that uh, they, they didn't get cleaned by the by the Swix guys, for example, it would have been so easy to gather, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 uh, waxers from Estonia and just clean all the skis from Floros and just make, make them plank, you know, and then give it back to the uh, Norwegian, Swedes, whatever team, you know, here are the tools, wax them for the race, but you need to clean the skis. Otherwise, it's, 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 it's stupid, you know. You, as as uh, Nat said, you know, you come in with uh, powder skis. Nobody really checks if if you clean them or if you apply anything. Maybe you just spin the roto brush and uh, go to the race. You know, it's it's stupid to have. I mean, the idea is really good to save the cost and uh, come on waxing. It, it's good, but just one thing: have have it organized so every uh, ski gets cleaned and you avoid all this kind of. Uh, you know, you can't. Probably you can maybe you can blame Swedes, but I mean they just maybe found the found the hole in the in the rules or whatever. But uh, it's I think it's organizers or like FIS should have been more strict about uh, you know step one. Let's let's make all the skis equal first before we start waxing them. Yeah, and I mean I guess like I think maybe you got to go through this exercise once to like see where the holes are but also it's like you know if if you're showing up with a sieve to a thing where you need like this is not the right metaphor but like it's like you know this, this it's not like this was not 
starting over. This was this was for this was a foreseeable problem for sure. Um, which you know, I feel like we've talked about foreseeable problems that have not been avoided on the World Cup circuit this year so many times. Um, I don't know, Bauer. Do you think uh, this, this is the? Yeah, but, but I want I want to I want to just ask one more time though, like Nestor. I just want to like harp on this a little bit because like this this sort of waxing stuff really bothers me. To be perfectly honest, I don't know how good my sound is because I'm on a train, so probably something shit. But like, but um, what I'm saying is like the whole thing, like with all these big wax trucks, they're like kind of arms race with the waxing. Just had all these regulations with ventilation and this, that, and the other that they never followed at any of the venues. And then this is just kind of like a repeatable thing that happens with this. We're like, they, they have these rules for health. They have these rules for waxing. They have these rules for bibs. They have these rules for now we're going to try like common waxing for everybody. And then the execution is always garbage. And, and I mean, yeah, the fact that this didn't get executed the way people would have liked it to make it fair is not surprising whatsoever given the history of like zero oversight. It's I feel like they just sent like these emails out kind of thing. And this time, yeah, they tried a bit with Switch being like the supplier of like a common equipment and, and waxing, but like Jesus. I mean, it's the Mickey Mouse Club over there and like they've got to get their head out of their ass. This is professional racing. There's a lot of money on the line. It's the end of the season. Um, some of these competitions are really tight, like we talked about. And when you when you run into situations like this and you didn't give one second of thought with oversight, then like this is what you get. I mean, it's embarrassing. On that note, um, Bahar, are we gonna are we gonna have another city sprint in Tallinn? Do you think there's uh, think there's money and will to make that happen? Uh, being in the crowd, taking interviews, uh, talking to the athletes afterwards, uh, I would be actually very surprised if we didn't have uh, another one coming. Uh, it's not gonna be probably every year, but uh, every other year, I think uh, we we showed that. Uh, we, we, we know how to do it. We know how to, uh, to, to have a really ski party. It wasn't just a ski race. It was, it was full on uh, end of the season party we were having there. And, and honestly, approximately 5,000 people uh, coming and cheering and uh, to everybody. I mean, it was, it was great atmosphere. And, uh, and I, 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 my personal thinking, there should be a proper uh, sprint weekend with a, with a team sprint and individual sprint to make it worth, uh, you know, covering everything and uh, bringing the people together. I think Thailand is the, is a really great place, a place to, to have a full uh, sprint weekend in the, in the schedule. It's like 10% of the population of Estonia was there, right? Like 50- maybe, maybe 12 even. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was, it was awesome to watch. I, I just, um, you know, I, I'm always hoping for a, resurgence of Estonian skiing. I know there were what you guys had one man who who qualified for the heats and hopefully if uh if the circuit comes back we'll see a little more than that. So we're getting we're getting uh down to the wire here because uh you know we're gonna go to Lati Finland this weekend and then we're gonna be done with the World Cup season and I like I don't know what we're gonna do with all the time on our hands. I don't know what what our listeners are gonna do. There's gonna be like a measurable surge in the gross domestic product of the United States and Canada um, after after the next Monday when we drop this episode. So uh, I don't know, gentlemen, Devin, Devin's on the train. He looks like he's like taking it. He's like wearing like a, a ski hat. He looks like he's going to to go 
you know, backcountry skiing on the islands of Lofoten or something. But uh, I don't know if we got anything else we need to cover here. I wish I was going back and seeing the Lofoten Islands instead of taking the train into Oslo to get just like completely smacked across the face with a fire hose full of knowledge that I can't digest. But uh, <laughs> no, but it's true. You know what I'll do? The, I'll do our, we have like kind of a, a thing on the podcast now that is like every year when the season gets over, we've, you and I off the air, I've like talked about all these ideas and all these people want to talk about and if we make promises like, yeah, in the off season, we're going to have some fun interviews and like more longer form stuff. So look forward to that. And then maybe we put out like one or two and then everyone has to wait for the end of the season. So um, as tradition, as a tradition, I will say like, we've got a lot of things in the back burner. We've got a lot of people we'd like to talk to that we've talked about in the off season and we'll try our best to like get some interviews. So we don't leave it as cold as it's been the last couple of years, but people that have heard that story before, I mean, I guess the, proof is in the pudding we'll just have to see but it's been it's been fun to follow along and yeah man it's uh one more weekend um frida carlson johannes Klaibo, uh pedro nortug actually uh you guys have my number it's all it's posted on my twitter account so when you guys are, are ready to join us um vahar teppen um estonia's finest i don't know how how many of those two beers you have left hopefully we helped you get through them and uh Thanks. Thanks for joining us. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be back in uh, just a few days for the grand finale of 2022-23. Thank you for inviting. Uh, it was uh, my pleasure being here. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back. 